We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. I'm Adam McGee. And I'm Andrew Snyder. And you're listening to Make Time for This, probably a part of the Eurostep Podcast Network of the Blue Wire Podcast family. And this episode, we're not talking about movies or TV or even music. We are talking about sports. Um, one of the only sports that we don't have a dedicated podcast to on the Eurostep Podcast Network. That is football, as I would call it. Soccer, as many of you listening may call it. And specifically, we were talking about the return of the English Premier League season. Andrew, how are you doing? Doing well, Adam. Um, you know, it would not be inconceivable for us to have a full-time football podcast, but we don't have the time, especially you don't have the time. That would, if you added another full-time podcast to the mix, I think you might just go crazy. Yeah, there's just no way that that's happening. <laughs> just zero, zero chance of that happening. Um, but yeah, the the compromise is that every now and then, a few times a season, we'll check in. We'll we'll talk about uh, what well, is my favorite sport. Uh, what what is definitely the sport I watch the most of. What's also a sport that I have increasingly complicated feelings towards. I don't know. Do we want to start there? Do we want to start with, you know, in what feels like typical Adam and Andrew fashion? Hey, the Premier League's almost back. Well, let us talk about some of the reasons why that's more troubling than ever. I think we should. Anyone that listens, listen to our World Cup uh, podcast and our Erling Holland uh, episode um, last year knows that uh, we are ravenous football fans. Um, we are we actually are starting a full time podcast on our Patreon. It's about the League of Ireland, though, and no other leagues. So uh, there is that coming. Um, but yeah, it's 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 a world that is becoming day by day more complicated and complex from a financial standpoint and from a moral standpoint. It's just uh, there's a lot going on right now, Adam. Yeah, there sure is, and I don't know it. Like the reality, the only honest way I can put it is that 
like the sport I watch now, particularly when it comes to Premier League or Manchester United, the team I support, it's not what it was 10 years ago. It's certainly not what it was 20 years ago. It's just, it's not what I grew up watching. And I don't say that to sound like some sort of dinosaur or be like, oh, the football was better back in my day. Because that's not the case. I think, honestly, the Premier League, the standard in the league has probably never been higher than it is right now. Um, but it's just an increasingly complex time for the sport as Saudi Arabia, I guess most notably, continue to exert their influence and try to grab power using sports and specifically football. Um, this is certainly something that I think we could have been having a really in-depth conversation about Newcastle and the role that Newcastle United, who are owned by the Saudi's public investment fund, playing all of this. If not for the fact that Newcastle kind of, you know, God loves them, Andrew. They seem to be yesterday's news. I don't even know if the Saudis remember that they own Newcastle now and that they managed to get them into the Champions League because uh, all of their investment is going into their own league, which is leading to some pretty interesting results. Um, the Saudi league has become the place that old players generally now go for that final big payday. Um it's also become a place where I guess some guys who are maybe at a point where they're at a particularly high juncture in their career, but it may not get much better. And maybe they're savvy enough to know that are going and cashing in. And it is also a place where let's be clear about it. Some of the better players in the world are now going to play. Uh, there are a variety of interesting reasons for that. I think things that could be unpacked. For example, a lot of, I think, the best players in the Saudi league and the younger players um, are Muslim. And that has been something that has been well documented and written about that the Saudis clearly feel that is something that they have to their advantage that they can offer is uh, a league and maybe a country that is more culturally sensitive to a lot of the top footballers throughout the world's belief systems. Um, so that is something that, has been reported they have consciously targeted and will continue to target and have done so pretty successfully i think with a lot of a lot of the african players have moved so far uh, i think something like that is even part of the reason why as much as you will take no joy out of this i think rumors around someone like Salah will continue for a very long time um so there is a cultural play being made there is a business play being made and it's really just kind of a leveling up of what has been the the wider sports washing mission from a lot of the Gulf states. Um, a World Cup seems inevitable in the next decade for the Saudis. It's just kind of we we have talked about this a little bit with regard to live on our on our golf, and I think it was around probably the Netflix documentary where he talks about live. They've tried to do the same thing to golf. Whether they've been successful or not is very much TBD right now, depending on what the kind of the agreement between the PGA Tour and Liv proves to be and how that all pans out. In terms of football, they're certainly making a lot of noise. And if you are me or if you are you, Andrew, or probably a lot of people listening, I think you could just be like, oh, okay, whatever, who cares? Like a lot of irrelevant players are gone there, some good players, but the ecosystem will roll on, the football world will move on, and we don't have to watch it, you don't have to pay any attention to it. 
I think that's true and it's not true. It's true that you don't have to watch it or pay attention to it. I certainly won't be. But the aftershock of what they're doing matters. And it matters in the Premier League. It matters really all throughout Europe because, yeah, all this money that they're spending, where is it going? Well, it's it's going to European clubs. It's further inflating the market. It's giving players even more unrealistic bars of what they expect to earn in salary or clubs even more unrealistic bars of when they expect to get a fee for a player who's hardly worth a fee anymore. Um, this was a market that was already on the precipice of breaking and it is only getting more and more hyperinflated and it's likely going to continue. It's pretty dark. And when people talk and they complain about the prices the players go for in the Premier League, it's like, yeah, now now a factor in that is not going to be purely about the Premier League. It's going to be the money that kind of moves around elsewhere, the money that comes into England and then how that gets respent. Um, there are clubs that I think already we could point to, and I will, and say I think the Saudi League's pretty whirlwind few months have been outstanding for, uh, i.e. Liverpool, your team. Uh, I think maybe the biggest beneficiaries in the Premier League of Saudi Arabia right now, other than Chelsea, who are beneficiaries in an entirely different way, um, a more questionable, possibly nefarious way. But all of this has a trickle-down effect, and it has a trickle-down effect on the economics of the game that was already pretty broken. And that's without getting to, yeah, Saudi Arabia own Newcastle, and Newcastle go and spend big money to sign Sandro Tonali. That's a big move. Honestly, they didn't do as much as I would have expected. Some of that is they're being careful with financial fair play. They're trying to present an image of themselves, but I really do think Newcastle is a much lower priority now than it likely was a few months ago. I think Alan San Maximum, one of Newcastle star players, um, all of a sudden not being a part of a Newcastle team that's Champions League bound and instead being sold from a PIF-owned club to a PIF-owned club to go and play in Saudi Arabia is a standout example of that. And if I'm to bring it back more personally, uh, I have been supporting a team with some of the worst owners imaginable for 20 years now. The Glazer family are you know, horrid parasites who have done everything they can to leech all the money out of Manchester United and certainly all the joy out of watching Manchester United over a long period of time. And we're in a place where it's like, oh, we're nearly a year into a quote-unquote sale process. Uh, will it happen? Won't it happen? It'll happen someday. It'll happen eventually. And when it will, it's likely going to be the state of Qatar who own the club. What does what does anything mean? What does it matter? Um, I always find it interesting knowing that a lot of our audience, due to the other podcast we have on the network, is an American audience because it just feels like this isn't something that really, truly, in the direct way, has had to be dealt with in the U.S. yet. Um, but what would it mean if the New York Yankees were actually just, you know, a puppet for a Gulf state? Would that? not be weird it would seem pretty weird we could bring it to wisconsin what if the green bay packers instead of being fan owned were all of a sudden owned by saudi arabia and that's what the green really represented now like this is this is the changing face of sports it's uh it's not great it's pretty toxic i'm on the one hand, not looking forward to the Premier League being back, and the other, maybe looking forward to more than ever, just like, yeah, let's please just get some games on, so 
you know the sports element of it can actually take some sort of center stage but i guess that's also that's the flip side it's like let's being distracted by the football is kind of the the goal of all of this so i wasn't helped to give a personal anecdote i saw manchester united in the flesh last weekend um that's probably quite a few people this thing have seen their teams lots of teams premier league teams have embarked including united also on a U.S. preseason tours to, you know, bleed their fans dry. And that is a very uh, hit and miss experience. I think everyone has some feeling of what they're going to be in for. Uh, let's let's just say my experience is bad, Andrew. They charged a lot of people a lot of money, sold out tickets weeks in advance for a friendly in Dublin for those who don't kind of know or don't get it. Probably outside of Manchester or London. Um, I don't think there's another city in the world that would have as many fans go to matches week to week than Dublin for the likes of Manchester United or Liverpool would also fit into that bracket. And uh, yeah, then they decided to announce another friendly three weeks later and charge only £15 for tickets at Old Trafford and play all the first team players for the people who will see them every week and send a youth team to Dublin where everyone had just been kind of yeah, bled dry. And it's not a new thing. Liverpool did it a couple of years ago in the exact same kind of scenario. It's like this is the world's league. Everyone's to be invested in it. It is the pinnacle when it comes to the sporting level. Um, as a fan, though, it's not very satisfying right now. No, it's not. And I mean, I'm probably going on like two years on now being dead inside when it comes to sports. So like none of this can really hurt me anymore. Um, 2021 world series and the reckoning that came from that, Adam, you know, all too well, uh, all, all too well, Andrew's version uh, for any of the Swifties out there. Um, anyway, uh, at least, that, at least that was one team though. Also rather than oh, an yeah, entire that, yeah, sport. Well, I mean, that's a, that is an upside. You, you had a place you could go and be like, Oh, maybe, maybe there's joy to be rediscovered. I mean, yeah, I found a place that maybe I'm rediscovering joy in a very different way with football, but that's that's the thing too. It's like when it's a whole league, it's very tough. Yeah, all I've got to lay my head down on at night is uh, David Tepper's concrete turf down in Charlotte with the tenth in the table MLS team. That that's my that's my uh, my uh, lily pad that I could land on, we'll call it. But yeah, like having, I'm, I love Liverpool. I went to Liverpool coming up on a year and a half ago. It was great. Everything I thought it was going to be. Got to sit in Klopp's chair, which he never sits in, but it's fine. Um, <laughs> and, and now, like even though FSG are at this point not putting the club up for sale like we thought they were going to, eventually they will and they'll sell to someone that's rich enough to give them their big payday and whoever that is will not be someone that you feel good about it uh, when you lay your head down on said concrete turf uh, owning your club, especially for a club in a city like Liverpool, which is like a pretty like working class uh, liberal kind of worldview for a lot of the people there. And a lot of the people that support the club um, and people are, I mean, obviously, like I said, from a footballing standpoint, I am going to be the beneficiary of some of these sales this year, assuming the FSG are like, you know what? 
we just got a bunch of fake money for Jordan Henderson, who's a traffic cone, and Fabinho, who's on the downslope of his career, just give Southampton what they want for Lavia. Like, come on. Like, you just got 52 million for uh, your midfield. It might be be Caicedo. You may not have heard this yet, but you're in the running for Moises Caicedo now. So you're even leveling up on that. If it's Caicedo, uh, I'll be hovering above the ground uh, and my feet won't touch the ground. I'll be excited. But the that all that infusion and the ability to spend and revamp your midfield, which has been a problem spot for a number of years, uh, really since Genie when Autumn left, um, that comes with the Jordan Henderson betraying all of the values that you thought he had uh, as an ally to the LGBTQ uh, plus community and going to play for Saudi Arabia. And it's Sadio Mane, who was at Munich last year, obviously, but someone that you held a lot of fond memories of in a Liverpool shirt, uh, winning the league for the first time, winning a Champions League, being like the the Robin to Mo Salah's Batman for all those years. And now he's he's over there as well. Bobby Firmino. Like, I love this club and everything that they were purported to stand for. But at the end of the day, what you learn is like cash is king. I think the Saudis buying golf is kind of just like the point in my mind where I was like, oh, you, you, you can't win. You just have to, you can't win, and we're never going to win, and you're not going to keep trying to win, but we don't until we start our Bose podcast. I think there's something different, though, like, because golf was one thing. Golf doesn't, like, because it's a kind of transient sport, and they're moving around the globe, and you've got a field of 140 to 160 players most weeks, it's like... It's never had a grounding that you can kind of hang your hat on. So you could have individual players who you like their personalities, you like what they stand for, you like how they play golf, whatever. And that doesn't necessarily have to change. Their decision and what they decide to do could influence that, but it doesn't fundamentally change. I think something that's particularly true for football in Europe is, though, like the history of a club is not just about what trophies you've won. It's like that that could play a part of it, but these are all clubs that were founded by workers groups and different professions and really came to mean something for their city. And they mean something as an escape for a lot of the fans in those areas. Like this is really what the history, not just of English football, but I mean, football throughout continental Europe stands for. And, the origins of many of the more prominent clubs, that's what it is. And they have ethoses that are like born out of that, that they're real. It's not just a slogan, that there's something that's tangible, that's there, that people can feel a real connection to. Um, and the history matters and it means something. And it's the idea like uh, Newcastle is the best example of it so far. I really feel like in terms of what was done, like what? that club means to those people in that city and what the people of Newcastle have been through over the years. And it's one of these big cities, but in many ways has always been a forgotten area of England um, by the establishment because it's about as far as you, away as you can get from London. And those people have been left to suffer very frequently. And I, I think part of that is why Newcastle fans have so readily embraced it. We don't have to suffer anymore. Finally, we get our chance to shine. But ultimately, what does it what does it matter? What does it mean? What I don't know how I'd feel about it right now if it's like, oh well, the club is serving this other thing, and you know, 
countless numbers of fans are rallying behind this Saudi purpose because these people are here to save us. And guess what? They're spending all their money on bringing largely past the players to play in Saudi Arabia in terrible stadiums and a terrible league that I think realistically a lot of people still aren't going to watch, even though it's increasingly star-studded. Like that's that's really tough. And I uh, it's very difficult to wrestle with that too, because uh, I do feel like it is more than just the winning or losing over the years. It's like if it's Manchester United, it's like you're starting from Newton Heat and you what the club became and how it built. And you've got the Munich air disaster in there and you've got essentially all this no different to Liverpool and having Hillsborough and these kind of key moments that are about community and about people that are attached to relationship to club, attached to the emotionality people feel. That's the idea that, I mean, really, the, the idea that anyone should be able to come in and buy that is wrong. I think it's why in Germany there's a lot to be said for the fan-owned 50 plus one movement where, you know, you're retaining the spirit of a club regardless. There have been look creative ways and we've seen like what RB Leipzig have done in terms of a corporation coming in and gaming the system there. Like there is no perfect solution, but there is something to there is so much that's tied up in just like the day-to-day livelihood and happiness for a lot of people in these cities that it feels very, very wrong that somewhere on the other side of the world it can be used for something entirely different, used for a different end. Um I guess that's the backdrop for the new Premier League season and the new football season generally. And there's not a lot we could do about that. They're really just all kind of the facts. Uh, let's let's move on to the sporting side of it. Let's move on to what we're going to see on the field. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Manchester City defending champions after what was an incredibly exciting title race until it just wasn't like overnight Larsa crumbled and essentially just rolled out the red carpet for City to go into the league City of course won the treble last year first European uh, first time winning the Champions League first time as European champions in their history 
And I think it's safe to say they come into the season as the best team in the league. And if someone else is going to win the league, it's going to require things to go wrong for City, some slip-ups, probably some injuries. Are you in agreement on that to start with, that this is kind of, this is going to be City's league to lose? Yeah. Um, not to I make am... it, I, I'm not necessarily suggesting it's going to be like completely non-competitive. But I do think still, when it comes down to it, City should be winning the league 99 times out of 100 this year. Yeah, I agree 100%. And I I would not predict anything other than that. I do wonder what the absence of Ilkay Gundogan is going to do to them. Uh, they, I, they've had a relatively, uh, I guess, quiet transfer window for them. I mean, they brought in Mateo Kovacic from Chelsea early in the window, and then they just sealed the deal, I think, for Josko uh, Vardial, um, who... I think probably set a record for the most expensive center back signing ever. Uh, if, mm-hmm. if I have that right. Um, so they've got like central defenders out uh, the ass. So they're, you know, they should be rock solid in defense. Obviously Pep, like his teams know how to control a game and squeeze the life out of you when they get a lead. And they have a guy that scored 36 league goals last year in Erling Holland, who is the man who fell <laughs> from from mars uh he's like an alien and just like a marvel superhero all in one and will he outdo himself will he score 40 goals this year i don't i don't know adam but like it's hard to imagine anyone knocking them off even though we've seen arsenal give them uh, a run for their money during this era or liverpool take them to the final day twice or in the covid uh, hampered season Liverpool win the league so we've seen them be challenged but for some reason just going into this year seeing what they did last year winning the treble um, taking down Inter Milan in that Champions League final it just it's hard to let your mind envision a scenario where they don't you know by the end win the league by five to ten points I think the, the midfield area is definitely where their vulnerability lies I think losing Gundogan is a colossal loss. I really do still think he's one of the very best midfielders on the planet. Kevin LeBron has been increasingly kind of injury prone and he is getting on there in age and if there was to be a scenario where he misses a long period of time through injury, I think that's where that could become a problem. Seems like Bernardo Silva will be staying again, not exactly one of the younger players. So if there if there is an area of the team where, at least as we record, like City being City, they may just decide to address this one way or another before the transfer window closes. I, I think it could be if injuries went wrong, they could find themselves with some real problems in midfield. But then again, Pep would probably solve that because like John Stones is suddenly one of the world's best midfielders after having been a you know inconsistent so-so center back for quite some time. Like if if a scenario like the one I'm sketching out was to arise, it wouldn't shock me if all of a sudden Stones and Guardiol are like just destroyers of world and center midfield, and Guardiol is just doing all sorts of weird stuff to make it work again. It is very hard to look past. Them. I mean, how alone makes that the case? But the fact that defensively they're as solid as they are, as strong as they are, uh, I, I just think it is it is theirs to lose, even though. There might just be an element of vulnerability, but it would take injuries. I, now, I don't think the gap is going to be colossal, 
I mean, another part of this is they're so good, you would expect them to be competing on all fronts, much like they did last year. Yeah. And as the year goes on, that's going to take its toll. And maybe there's some good fortune for some of the contenders around them. Good fortune being, you know, bad luck of being knocked out of whatever, the Champions League or FA Cup, League Cup. And all of a sudden you've got some rest advantage and you can really focus on the league. That's really what happened for Arsenal last year. And if Arsenal had a whole bunch of tournaments to worry about, <laughs> the league probably wouldn't have been close even for a moment. So again, that that could factor into it, but it's it's in that... City's hands to start the season. They will largely, I think, control their own fate. Um, that brings me to a question I have for you, Ed, and you know, obviously, Arsenal uh, uh went out and won the Community Shield last weekend. Arsenal were the team leading City and then chasing them and eventually, you know, falling short and second place to them. A team with a core that you and I really liked last year. We talked when we were talking about the Holland podcast, we were talking about how much we love like Odegaard, Gabriel Martinelli, Bukayo Saka. Uh Gabriel Jesus came into the, the team and missed some time due to injury last year, but for a time, uh looked like you settled in nicely. Uh Zinchenko, obviously Arteta is the the Pep uh protege and now he's going toe to toe with him. They bring in Declan Rice, who is not a friend of the podcast, uh, by the way, uh, but should be slide into that midfield and give them something that they they need there. They spend seventy five million on Kai Havertz, who was uh, never really settled into being anything at Chelsea. Is this a year where Arsenal can say, okay, this is our level now, and we're going to be the team that's uh, causing City headaches and? either, you know, like jumping out to a lead like they did last year or like chasing them in the rear view mirror and look over their shoulder or was last year the blip on the radar and, you know, what they've done in the window isn't going to be enough for them to sustain this. Where do you see Arsenal kind of fitting into that mix this year? I don't know. I, I think it is a prove-it year. I think it's as simple as that. You've got to back it up this year. I think that's easier said than done. Um, I still don't know if their squad is quite as deep as they need it to be to really push. And again, if they get a good Champions League run going, like they definitely could do. I think their best 11 on a given game could probably beat anyone in Europe at this point. Like, you give anyone a really good game and whether that will force some difficult choices down the line for Arteta remains to be seen. I think the business they've done has been largely excellent. I'm pretty baffled by the Havertz one because I just don't rate Havertz very much and I think he just he failed at Chelsea, flat out he failed. And I certainly wouldn't, as another Premier League team, be like, yeah, hey, let's go spend that much money on give him another chance. It seems like Arteta sees him as more of a central midfielder and is going to use him deeper, which if that works out, like the Odegaard Havertz kind of wave of creativity from, from deeper in midfield with Declan Rice as your holding midfielder, I mean, it could be great, but there's that's a big if with Havertz, like whether he can do that, whether that's going to really hurt you defensively and leave Rice with way too much to do. Um, I think really if I was signing Rice, part of it is I would have wanted to see him get to be even a little bit more box to box and Arsenal might go in a way where he actually has to be more limited and has to be more of a ball winning holding midfielder. We'll see. Uh, I really like their signing of Urian Timber as well. I don't necessarily think that they needed to do anything drastic at 
the back. I think they've got a pretty good shape, but that's a very good signing that will give them some more depth there. It seems like one or two more signings could yet be on the way for Arsenal. And I'd wait and see and see what they do. I do think they need that. Um, I would be very, very surprised if Arsenal are not again a top four team, not returning uh, to the Champions League by the end of the season. But whether they are putting up a real title challenge and are going to be second or they're going to be way off, but yeah, comfortably top four. I think that's a different question entirely. And I'm not just sitting on the fence. I just think it's as simple as they have to prove that. I don't think anyone can tell that. I like Arsenal a lot. I like the squad they've built. Like I think that they've really done something that's very, very strong over a number of years. It's taken some time, but it's like, yeah, the leap forward was certainly sudden last year, but I, I think the pieces have been put in place pretty well where it wasn't completely out of the blue. It's like the, they, they started to reach something that feels like it could be their level. You still have to go out and show it and sustain it. And uh, the Community Shield is not going to make me feel one way or another. I'm not going to put any <laughs> stock at all in that. So, yeah, we'll find out soon enough. I think good business. They've backed things up. I might have used that Havertz money elsewhere, but I mean, Tim, Timber and Rice are really good signings to a team that was pretty close to winning a league. So we'll find out. Yeah, Havertz. Uh, I mean, you could easily see some of that money being something that puts them in the mix for Moises Casado. Like, that was probably a move. I don't know if the, you can. I don't know if him and Rice are too much of a like, yeah. I, I, if you pair them together in like a double pivot, I think that's the opposite though. Of I, I the double pivot is certainly not something Arteta is going to do. Um, with the current mix of players they have further up the pitch, I think he wants one holding midfielder. Now Rice could play a little bit more advanced, or you give him a bit more freedom if you had someone like that. So I don't know. I mean, I feel like they've been in the mix for Lavia or mentioned at different points as well. They may still look to go yeah. some kind of route. Um, where they do add a slightly more defensive-minded midfielder into the mix as well. I I would think if I was an Arsenal fan, I'd think that's a good idea because I like Granite Jacka was kind of a revelation last year. What he became as well, he's now left the club, and I think that's largely fine. And you'll be like, well, you know, Declan Rice is the answer there, and that's kind of your replacement, and that's a leveling up. They do have some other options. It's going to be a big season for Fabio Vieira, who was very highly kind of taught of and hasn't done much yet. He did score the winning penalty in the Community Shield. Um, <laughs> we'll see. We'll see how that plays out. Um, but who knows? Like, I, I think I think in some regards they got lucky with injuries last year, and then in some ways maybe they got unlucky. If Gabriel Jesus didn't miss as much time, he started the season looking really good. I wonder, could that have been something where they could have been maybe even further ahead and better positioned to deal with the obvious stress that was going to come in the run-in. Um, I feel like this is a year where there are some years where going into the season, we said, we know what city is going to be. We know what Liverpool is going to be. City are going to win the league. Liverpool is going to give them a chase beyond city this year. Uh, to your point with Arsenal, I think the teams in that next mix, all of them, are kind of in that prove it realm. I mean, like, let's move on to to your club, Eric Ten Hag. It is a year two for him. Um, bring in Mason Mount. You bring in uh, Rasmus Hoyland, or I don't know how his name is mm-hmm. pronounced. Um, yeah, you're right. And and you wonder, is this a 
season where the goal is to hold that Champions League spot, finish in the top four again. I finished third last year, obviously, behind Arsenal ahead of Newcastle. Or is this a year where they take a leap forward and are the Arsenal last year where they can mix themselves into a, I don't want, I don't want to say a title race, but like give yourself hope midway through the season where you're like not so far away from city that it's like a pipe dream. What do you view this year as for Manchester United? What should the goal be? And what is a realistic expectation for this team? It's got, it's just got to be top four again. Um, it's got to be top four and continue to look more and more like an Ericsson hike team. I think that's the crucial thing with the summer signing so far. And uh, it seems like United are going to be very busy with ins and outs over the next two weeks or so as well. So there's going to be more shaping uh, to be done with kind of working out exactly what this team is going to look like. Um, he is getting the chance to really build a team in the way that he wants to play. I think some of the issues that were there last year where things just weren't quite compatible, certainly being addressed. David De Gea is gone and Andre Anana has come in, which honestly might be the most, might be the most like transformative signing at any club in the Premier League this year. I, you know, I'll take might out of that. I think it is the most transformative signing and we'll see that for better and for worse because just the difference in style of play that United are going to go from with De Gea to a keeper like Onana, who's probably the most progressive goalkeeper on the planet, is going to be incredibly jarring. And it's going to mesh exactly with what Ten Hag likes to do, wants to do. Obviously, he had a great success at Ajax with Onana in goal. Um, that is going to lead to countless horrible mistakes for United this year as they try to get used to that and the defenders try to get used to that. And Onana is going to be like standing on the halfway line at all times. Um, but I do also think that the net result should be a big positive. I mean, I, I think anyone who even just watched the Champions League final, that, that's like, that's the best attacking goalkeeper performance. What a weird thing to say I've ever seen in my life. His passing in the Champions League final was ridiculous. No one else can see passes. There are very few outfield players who can play passes in the way that he does. So that signing is a really, really big deal. But I do think there's going to be an adjustment period. Like Onana will make mistakes. He makes them everywhere because that's how he plays. He just he takes risks and those risks are probably going to get you more goals than you'll concede because of them. But I, I do think there'll be big adjustments for a midfield and defense who have been used to literally the complete opposite style of keeper playing behind them for a very long time. I mean, what you talk about with a halfway point and you kind of have some hope that you're in a title race, that's what United got last year. And there was a spell last year yeah. where it was a three-team title race. And that was very exciting, uh, given what United's recent time has been like. But also, it didn't last and never could last because the squad lacked depth. I think depth is going to be a problem again. Um, they're doing some selling now. They're going to do even more selling. Uh, there's been some financial fair plays just in terms of ins and outs concerns and stuff like that they're having to manage. So it, in a lot of ways, I think that makes it tough and it makes it a season where maybe his starting 11 gets a lot closer to where it needs to be. But unless there's some real significant step-ups from younger players, which is possible, you look at like how good Alejandro Garnacho has been so far and how important I'd expect him to be this year. And even someone like Kobe Mainu has by all accounts, had a fantastic preseason and unfortunately picked up a, a real freak injury at the end of that that's going to reel him out early in the year. But without kind of 
without depth from the academy and young players at the club proving to be real, I, I do think there will be some areas where United could be found out. But having said that, I massive, massive Rasmus Hoyland fan. I've watched all of his Denmark games um, for for work reasons, and he has been phenomenal for Denmark. I really think there's something special there. It's unfortunate that he's got a little bit of a concerning back injury at the moment. You're certainly going to keep him out for about three to four weeks to begin the season, and we'll see. Did I have to be careful of how he's kind of integrated beyond that? Um, but it's a very long time since United have bought a striker who hasn't been honestly past their best. Uh, and you're probably going back to Lukaku to the last time they took a gamble on a striker who was on the younger end of the scale with the hope of, well, this is going to be our striker. There's been a lot of, you know, even, even I mean, some of it before that, but there's been a lot from like Falcao to Zlatan. Uh, obviously more recently Ronaldo which was one of the biggest disasters that could possibly be and anyone with a brain saw it coming um, so to have a young aggressive pressing striker um, there's a lot of nonsense out there about oh he's only scored 9 goals there's the hell of a lot of context missing in that in terms of when he broke in became a starter in terms of how when he's kind of clicked both at Atalanta and for Denmark his goals come in bunches. Um, United don't necessarily need a 30-goal striker if that's not what he proves to be. Marcus Rashford scored 30 goals last year. What they need is a pressing focal point at the front, and then you're going to have Rashford, you're going to have Garnacho, you're going to have Anthony. Seems like Jaden Sancho's had a good preseason, and it'd be nice to think he could contribute and look like the Dortmund version of Sancho. That's going to bring you lots of goals. And then beyond that, I mean, a signing that a player I'm not crazy about, a signing that's kind of underwhelming, but really could be a big deal is Mason Mount um, because they just needed someone who I think had more legs and is going to be a much better like off-ball midfielder. Um, he's not a defensive midfielder, but I do think the defensive work he's going to do could be the most important element of the Mason Mount signing. And Christian Eriksen helped United do a lot of really good stuff last year. Christian Eriksen's also at the tail end of his career, certainly is very far from an athlete at this point. And that makes things tough. I think he got a great season out of Casemiro. Bruno Fernandes has been a club changer since he came in. I think any signs of United being the United of old can largely be kind of attributed to the impact Bruno Fernandes has had. I think someone like Mount could free up a lot of that, um, allow Bruno to do even more, give Casemiro the freedom to do a little bit more. We saw him actually surprised with the amount of goals and assists he delivered last year. I like the business. We'll see what happens next. It seems like Safian Amrabat will come in. Um, that would be a really nice addition. He had a great World Cup at Morocco. Benjamin Pavar from Bayern Munich seems like a potential Harry Maguire replacement right now. That would be a big upgrade. I have concerns about depth. It's possible it all clicks and United are right in the middle of a title race. They're not ready for that, though. So it would be very Arsenal of last year if that was to happen. And I think more realistically, top four, but look like a completely different team than they did not just last year, but really to go back a year further. It's like if the team is a, is completely transformed, then they can be at a place where 
next summer's transfer window is where you really solidify yourself and be like, okay, we are ready to go and compete for leagues, go and compete for Champions Leagues. The team is there, the spine is there, and the next signings are to push over the edge and really push City again. We'll see, though. I, I like the way the squad is shaping up, uh, much more than I like a lot of other things at the club at the moment. Um, We'll see. We'll see how it nets out as the season goes on. Yeah, Mason Mount's one I'm very curious about because obviously last year uh, was probably like, or it was definitely like a, a dip in form from previous seasons at Chelsea. But I, I have, I guess this applies to Havertz, even though I'm not convinced on that either. But it's just like, what do we take what are, away? What are from Chelsea? Individu- yeah, what yeah. Are, like what do we take away from those individual performances from Chelsea players over the last year or two when it's just been like pure chaos and then Todd Bully coming in and being like, all right, here's 10 new teammates. We need to have two practice facilities. If we're going to like, it's, I don't know that that's just been like a, a situation that I could see being toxic enough to have a bad season, be a blip on your radar rather than who you are now, but that's to be determined. I'm really intrigued to see what Bruno does this year. I think he's kind of a lightning rod for idiots on Twitter that like mm-hmm. get mad about, uh, uh, you know, every once in a while when he just launches one from from 30 yards out and it goes into uh the last row of the stadium, that's part of who he is because a lot a lot of times he's going to score a banger and you're going to be applauding it. He is statistically the best creative midfielder in Europe. Like that's I'm not yeah I'm not using opinions here. That is what he is statistically. Um, what does that mean? It means you can bring in other stats, like you could bring in pass completion and be like, oh, his pass completion is lower than. Than most midfielders, it's like, yeah, because he doesn't just pass side to side. It's like he's always looking for a killer pass. If he sees an opportunity, yeah, he's going to take long range shots and he just scored them sometimes. Um, I don't have a problem with that. I don't, you know, I'm not here to watch numbers be amassed uh, for individuals in a way where we can pat them on the back. The kind of numbers that matter most are goals and assists in that position. And he's been very, very effective in that regard in his United career. So, you haven't lived until you've seen Jordan Henderson make a five-yard pass at him uh, behind him. That's that's the good stuff. All right, let's let's go to you know Jordan Henderson's beloved Liverpool, his former club. Um, you know, close connections with the Stephen Gerrard Jordan Henderson venture. I saw saw Jordan Henderson's going to be wearing EFC on the back of his jersey, and Al Etifak were were apologizing to Liverpool fans. Uh, seems like some sort of bond developing between the clubs i'll stop trolling you now anyway um but i will say just to just to give you a little bit of something here i think liverpool are going to be really strong this year i think this is the team who will push city for the title i would be very surprised if liverpool finish any worse than second in the league um there was a gaping, gaping hole at the center of Liverpool's squad um, with old, off-the-pace midfielders. Essentially, when you won the league, last Champions League, it was like kind of the last pieces of juice had been squeezed out of the oranges. And it should have been rebuilding. It should have been time to move on. Financially, that hasn't been an option. Those kind of decisions necessarily haven't been just kind of readily available where you can just make them move on and be like all right we're not gonna we're not gonna drop off the pace at all last year is as bad as it has been for quite some time um certainly since like what Klopp's first year second year is am i right in that 
Yeah, there was a year in between there where they ended up getting into the top four where it looked like they weren't uh, the year where Allison scored the goal against West Brom uh, late That's in the right. season. Um, and then, uh, so that year was injury riddled. The year it was uh, when Virgil Van Dyke uh, was out for the season um, because Jordan Pickford's a maniac who doesn't know what he's doing. But anyway, well, I think if there is an area I'd be concerned about, it might still be the fence in some ways, and we'll we'll see how that works out, and we'll. Liverpool definitely needs some better luck with injuries. Um, I'm looking at you, Diogo Jada, and Luis Diaz in particular. But I think there is a version now where it's like, okay, everyone's gone Barsala. I think Gakpo, Diaz, Jada in reserve, who knows? Maybe Nunes figures something out at some point. Like I think there's there's something really, really strong and potentially special about what you could get up front. Um, maybe something that becomes reminiscent of the kind of peak of Mane, Salah, and Firmino. And that midfield, I just, it's fallen into your lap somewhat, thanks to Saudi Arabia. But being able to move on and just completely, not just um, inject kind of youth and kind of modernize your midfield, but also to bring your midfield back to a profile of player that more closely fits like Jurgen Klopp's ideals of midfield, which I don't think Liverpool have been able to play with or anything close to for a long time. You're going to get more legs out of Sabazlai and McAllister. I I, it, I think the Caicedo thing, I he wants to go to Chelsea, and I feel like Liverpool might be throwing themselves in the mix there to scare Southampton and try and push a Lavia deal over the line. But if it's a Lavia, uh, McAllister, Sabazlai midfield, I think that is a really, really strong should put you in a good position this year, but also with room to grow and develop um, and just play a style that's maybe unlike what Klopp has even been able to do in some regards throughout his entire time with Liverpool. Virgil van Dijk will need to be fit. I think Trent Alexander-Arnold needs to be better. He needs to be better defensively. There's got to be something closer to the version of himself that existed when you last won the league title. Um but I really, really like the Rapil squad, and I think they're going to be in for a strong, strong season unless injury plays a major factor again. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Yeah, last season uh, was very much a patchwork season. I mean, Nunez, Jada, Diaz all missed time. Sala was there <laughs> 38 games just doing what he does, being ever reliable. Wasn't his best season from a goal scoring perspective by any means, but he, he still has not... I mean, he's had inconsistency in form more than he had in the past, but he's still what you need from him. And then, like you said, you get help from Diaz, Jota, Nunez, Gakpo. Um, I would like them to get that Lavia deal over the line. I think they need uh, one more midfielder. Uh, Tiago and Stefan Bacetic are still out. Uh, Curtis Jones and Harvey Elliott, if you're relying, if you're relying on Curtis Jones to be... You're six. I don't. I don't. I don't know about that. In the last uh, 
preseason game starting lineup they went with, which I guess is what they're going to line up with against Chelsea. Um, saw Trin Alexander-Arnold, uh, Kanate, Virgil van Dijk, Andy Robertson, Alexis McAllister is a holding midfielder, Gakpo in the midfield uh, with Sabasly um, opposite of him, and then Diaz, Jota, Sala across the front. That's what they ran with uh, in that game. I don't know if um, that's what they're going to do for the first game. Uh, you could see Curtis Jones in that midfield role instead of Gakpo, and Gakpo starting uh, up top or um, him or Jota. I think Jota... Given the injury concerns, I would start Gakpo there day one, and Jada's your super sub late game goal guy. He's great at that role. Um, I think he'll get plenty of time starting. I think he's, you know, an incredibly, uh, like, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Just like a clinical player in front of goal when he's fit. Um, they need to get that one signing over the line. Like you said, I think they could use another central defender, Kanate. And Virgil Van Dyke, when fit and on form, are turning into a great partnership. Joel Matip is getting up there in age. He'll be gone next year. Joe Gomez, I've never really rated um, at all. So, yeah, there's a lot to like there for Liverpool. And I think, like you said, with health, the uh, the, the front five, we'll call them that rotation, uh, could be pretty devastating and fun to watch. Now, if if the, the defense is as leaky as... I'm concerned it could be. We could be back to the early <laughs> Klopp era of uh, heavy metal football where you're winning games 4-3, and it's really fun to watch, but not good on your heart. Um, yeah, I'm cautiously optimistic just because of how late they're getting into it. They got the McAllister deal and the Sabasly deal done so early, and you're like, all right, great business. This sets us up to kind of assess what else we need, and then you have the thing you didn't see coming, which is Fabinho and Henderson going off and then you're never going to be able to rely on um tiago i think he's his contract's done after next year so he'll probably go off to saudi arabia on a free uh, at that point he might um, go he might go before that uh, i wouldn't be surprised if that one happens yet uh if, yeah that's fine um but yeah i mean i think i guess based on what you're saying you're you're viewing them as like a notch above the the united arsenal mix i would can because of my own uh guarding of my heart i have them like firmly in the mix with those two and i can see uh, i guess we'll get the predictions later but that's kind of the group i'm seeing behind city that i have the most belief in even though i'm not certain of certain aspects of like where they are in terms of their team building and their depth liverpool's depth in defense is what worries me depth in midfield obviously is a question mark too until you get another signing over the line and you make harvey elliott and curtis jones and batch and tiago like uh, surplus of requirements and not people that you need to guarantee you're getting good minutes out of up front, you know, hard to, hard to think of, a, uh, of being unhappy with any aspect of that. I mean, that's just like, uh, an embarrassment of riches there. I love the way Gagpo settled into this team and he, they've used him a lot. Like Bobby Firmino was used early in the, the clock era where he's dropping in, uh, playing that false nine role. And he's very good in tight spaces, him and McAllister, which is, him in that holding role he did he looked good in the final um preseason game but him and Gakpo playing one twos in tight spaces and like creating things for the attackers around them I think is a, like a partnership that could be like a match made in heaven so I think it's really important that you get someone uh 
in that holding defensive midfielder role so that that does free up McAllister to be in that attacking role and to press higher up the field and create chances for the wealth of attackers you have. That's my long-winded way of saying I'm optimistic about this Liverpool season, but uh, health and leaky defense would be the two things I'm concerned about. Uh, you don't have to give it to me in order because we'll do this at the end, but are they your top four teams that we've talked about? Yes. <laughs> they are also my top four teams. So if we're to go outside of that, um, well, let's do some more quick fire. Yeah. I guess Newcastle. Newcastle are the team who made the Champions League, so let's let's start there. Um I mean I found this offseason well, really or this transfer window very funny because it's objectively funny. And Tanali could be great, uh Harvey Harvey Barnshaw or whatever, but it's it's funny that, that it's like, good business, finished, but they just made yeah. the Champions League. It's not like we just made the Champions League business. And we need to have our squad be, you know, able to deal with that workload and play at that level. Like, I, Tanalia is an excellent player. I don't know. I, I watched quite a lot of him uh, Brescia when he broke through and he became something of a phenomenon. And, and also his first season at AC Milan. I don't know about his attitude. Like, I, there's going to be a lot on his shoulders for that transfer fee. Um, I don't mean that he's a bad attitude. I just don't know if he's going to carry that in the best way or if he's going to be like what they need for that. I'll be watching that and seeing. I think Harvey Barnes is a very, very good signing um, and maybe one in a kind of like that Sam Maximan out, Harvey Barnes in might actually make Newcastle a better team and much more solid defensively and better equipped to play better teams. But I think your ideal world, you know, you should be adding Harvey Barnes and keeping San Maxima and you've got depth and you've got options and you can mix up your team and pick the right players depending on what games you're playing. They also say Tino Livermento from Southampton and that's it. It's just not enough business. And this is this is a team that are going out of their way to pretend to play poor and um, insist, no, no, we're not actually owned by the Saudi state. These are different things. We know various lawsuits that have taken place in other departments have established these are these are not in fact different things. Um, Newcastle are owned by a fund which is operating on behalf of the, the Saudi state. I I don't see them being what they were last year. I there could be a there could actually be a really big drop off just because they haven't done enough to support all their players, to support Eddie Howe as manager, and to give themselves a squad that can deal with all those extra games, the intensity of and the quality of opposition they're going to face. So, like, I think they're a good team, like, in a vacuum, but I don't know if they're being set up to succeed in the way that they really need to be for what's ahead. Yeah, I mean, it's just really funny that they make the Champions League and then Saudi Arabia is like, oh, we have a league we can be pumping the money into. Here's a little bit in Newcastle, but, you know, don't get greedy. Um, yeah, I agree about them. I think there's, there's going to be a drop-off there. Um, and like, I don't know what is being in the Champions League also due to their league form is something I wonder. Obviously, competing on a, a front they weren't competing on. Like Wednesday, yeah. Sunday could kill them. Like they're not used to that. That's not something they have to worry about. Another team I have no idea what to make of is Chelsea. Todd Bowley. Uh, oh, I've um, got an idea what to in, make of them. Like a bull and a. 
in a shop full of cut crystal. It could buy a nice gift for a wedding, or it could wreck the whole shop. Um, Christopher and Cuckoo, I think, just went down with an injury as well. Uh, the guy that they had signed from RB Leipzig. Um, He's out for four months. He was he was their best ooh. signing um, of the players who they signed. I was like, okay, well, he's the one who could actually make them good, and he's out for four months. So There are so many guys on this team that you're just like, are, are they even good? Now, they're playing Liverpool on Sunday, so I'm very cautious of what I say here. We're probably going to get the standard Liverpool-Chelsea draw, which is what happens every single time they play, it seems like. Um, but Mudrick, what is he? Like, is he good? I don't know. Reese James keeps getting uh, hurt Injured. like every other week. Yeah, mm-hmm. like I have no idea what to make of this team. You've obviously got Riccio Pochettino coming in, uh, which still looks weird every time I see him uh, with the Chelsea crest on. He's, I think, been vocal about he needs more signings, which is like his entire thing. It's like every time, I mean, being at Tottenham under Daniel Levy, obviously, I, I understand why he has that uh, trauma. Well, that, but It's also true, though, because the, the squad is completely incoherent. So if I was a new manager, I'd want to get to make my signings and try to reshape it. But Chelsea yeah, also needs in... sales, sales, sales. Like the whole, it's yeah. just, you cannot have... Like we talk about other teams and concerns of depth, the solution to that is not to have forty-five first-team caliber senior players who expect to play. Like you cannot have more players at that kind of level. Bar maybe you know a couple over that works fine. That's depth. You've got to be able to have. Here's our starting eleven. Here's the eleven who will be behind them. Hey, let's have a let's have a training match and all those players are on the pitch. And it became the well-documented thing, the thing people laughed at. Chelsea did the one they couldn't do that. Two, they didn't have space at their training ground to essentially like give space to all of their signings because Todd Bowley just came in and wanted to sign everyone. I look at their business and it's just like I have no idea what's going on. I just don't understand it at all. Um, there's very little rhyme or reason. They were a club that we don't need to go through all of where the money came from and everything with Abramovich, which you have to give Abramovich is he had very smart po- football people making decisions and Chelsea worked very very effectively and efficiently and they were not wasteful under his guidance this is like the definition of waste and I think you've also got to look at what they're losing this season I know it's coming off of a bad year but N'Golo Kante is gone uh, Kaldu Koulibaly is gone Mario Kovacic is gone Edward Mendy gone uh, Kai Havertz gone uh, Ruben Loftus-Cheek, gone. Mason Mount, gone. Cesar Azpilicueta, gone. Uh, Christian Pulisic, gone. Like, I have mixed opinions on some of those players, but in that mix, you have guys, you've got some of your most experienced players, you've got your leaders, um, you've got your captain, you've got some of the guys who are like, true the academy, Chelsea, true and true, and I've also done it for the first team. Like, all of that is a lot to replace. And the mix of players brought in to replace them is bizarre. Uh, I watched a lot of Nico Jackson last year with Villarreal. I don't rate him at all. I don't think that's going to work out. People can come back and put that on my face if I'm proven wrong. But I just don't think he's very good. Like, what are the expectations for him? What do they need from him? Probably they were lower and the answer was less when Nkunku was going to be fit. But without Nkunku for the first four months of the season, they could be in a pretty deep hole. Um, Axel Di Sassi seems like a really good centre back, he's been very highly touted. 
maybe that works out very well. I don't get the Robert Sanchez signing. Like he's he is Brighton's third choice goalkeeper because they're just like this guy isn't it. He can't play how we want to play football. And Chelsea are like, here, have twenty five million. It, it's none of it makes sense, and I don't even like what what's their midfield look like. I don't think they've got a serious team. Um, Enzo Fernandez, good player as he is, he was not worth one hundred and twenty million pounds. Todd Bowley saw one World Cup and decided to act accordingly. I just I don't know what they are, and there are questions over Pochettino. Like Pochettino is going to have to prove it. It's one thing, he was a great manager at Spurs. Lots of managers can do a really good job at one club and they can never quite put all of that together, find the right players, the right personalities. This is very different to inheriting Harry Kane in the early-ish years of his career and having uh, a player like Son Young-Min come in and then having a very kind of defined style that comes from the players that meshes with your coaching approach. Like, that's what... That's what earned Pochettino his reputation. That's what all worked together. It did not work out at PSG. That would be true for lots of other coaches. You'd say, don't hold that against him. This is like this is like a PSG style situation, but worse in terms of the players you're working with, though. Just in terms of just sign, 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 endless players. Maybe it all works out. Like there is a good team in there. There are good players in there, but I I don't see it being kind of parsed through to deliver results this year. I, I think they're gonna be bad. Maybe not as bad as last year, because that's near impossible, but I don't expect Chelsea to be a really relevant factor. And you know what? Yeah, maybe they beat Liverpool and you'll feel bad about the weekend. I don't don't think you've got to worry about the last laugh. Like they have players. They'll be a team that anytime someone has to play them, it's like it's Chelsea, you'll have to take it seriously. But I I can't see them week to week being anything close to a force. My uh, existential dread has just been Ration it up to to fifty. I'm now worried about my own existence, and also do not want someday to ever come now, because I'm fearing the worst. A four nothing Chelsea win, um, and I'm sitting here crying to you. Um, I, I guess if there's one player that I think in that mix can like have a breakout, or well, not really a breakout, because a World Cup does that. As I, I still kind of do believe that Enzo Fernandez will be a good Premier League player. But he's he's fine. He's not like he, even his profile as a player. Like he is not. He's not the centerpiece of a team. Like he's just not. He's not good enough for that. It's not his style of play. Like that doesn't work out. And that's kind of like maybe best case scenario for Chelsea is that he like functions in that kind of role. And I think they'll have a very like clearly defined ceiling. I it just didn't make sense. <laughs> his World Cup was not that impressive. Like he. There's no world. I'm sure Benfica are still laughing all the way to the bank over that. Like that a club like Benfica get a fee like that. Like you've got all the leverage just because the guy wins best young player at the World Cup. No one else was going and paying that price for him. No one. Declan Rice with like, you know, the English tax and with having been a proven Premier League player for years and years. Like people are making fun of Arsenal for spending 105 million on Rice. At least everyone knows what Declan Rice is and what he'll be in the Premier League, and his role is clearly defined within their team that they're bringing him into. It's like, it's completely insane. Todd Bowley is a blundering idiot when it comes to owning a Premier League football team. And we, we alluded to it earlier, but just to be clear, like Chelsea, to say that things at Chelsea have been questionable, that there have been 
you know, there's just probably a need for investigation and some of that is an understatement. Todd Bowley and his fund, um, his venture capital group, one of its major investors uh, is the public investment fund and there's major connections with Saudi Arabia within that investment group. And all of a sudden, Saudi Arabia need real players and Chelsea need to offload a whole bunch of guys who they're going to struggle to sell. They're certainly going to struggle to get meaningful fees for otherwise. And Kante goes to Al-Idahad. Koulibaly goes to Al-Halal. Uh, Mendy goes to Al-Ali. Like, just the kind of quick, easy sales that other teams don't have the luxury of. And with that connection... Hmm... Uh, flashing red lights for me, Andrew. So I think that's something we'll continue to see. And maybe Chelsea can just buy as freely as they want because they'll always have the out of, oh, you know, we've got a connection there and we can just offload all of the players who don't work to Saudi Arabia and get more back than other teams do. That's not great, though. Again, something I would have some concerns about for the Premier League. Uh, it looks like Harry Kane is going to die at Spurs. They're going to bury him under the stadium. They just won't let him leave. Um, well, no, they're letting him leave. He will not leave. Oh, really? He doesn't want Munich? Um, The Munich Munich's bid was accepted, or the terms were reached oh, wow. today. Um, and I know, at least I see Sky are reporting that it's increasingly likely Harry Kane is going to stay at Tottenham. So it seems like he is going to turn that down. I think that's a big mistake. Um, certainly in England, there are a lot of opinions flying around about this, where I think the idea of anything bar playing in England for the England captain is viewed as unspeakable. And I think it would be very funny if the two best English players were playing outside of England. So it might arguably be healthy. He, he wanted to go to City, right? That's where, and then... Uh, I, think I, would... I think, honestly, I think... I think maybe slightly more old school than that. There's probably a part of him in his head from a long way out would have foreseen if he was to make a move that he's going to United or Liverpool. And mm. that being the kind of thing that he would imagine. Um, and possibly if he's to go abroad, that he'd go to Real Madrid. Mm. If he plays through this season, doesn't get injured, has another hurricane season, all those options will be on the table. He can go wherever he wants and everyone will take him on a free. So he could end up at United or he could go to Real Madrid. Um, I'd, I'd possibly even bet on that outcome. Them getting Mbappe and Kane on free transfers next summer seems like something that could be very, very likely. Um, but if you wanted to go to Liverpool, the option, if you want to go to City and play for Pep, the option could be there. He will be 31 and it's a very different player and even it's a different proposition wages-wise. But teams will be more prepared to take that gamble on a free. Um, he could go to Bayern and he could win leagues. And I think a lot of people are trying to discredit him and be like, what's winning the Bundesliga at Bayern? Bayern are one of the biggest clubs in the world. I think being a part of that, being the face of that, winning trophies domestically, he's never won trophies. Like, that's for Harry Kane, I don't think he can underestimate that. And to have a real chance in the Champions League... Like maybe he gets injured this season and those opportunities are gone. He ends up signing a new deal at Spurs and that ends up being like his career. He may well be the all-time leading Premier League goal scorer. Does that matter? Like people talk about that like like LeBron being overtaking Kareem as the NBA's all-time leading goal scorer. I think they're very different things. Like there are other leagues that matter. It's not a knock on Harry Kane if he leaves England and, you know, just years of mediocrity around him at Spurs. 
to go and win titles and challenge for Champions Leagues with Bayern or if that's next year and it's Real Madrid or Barcelona or I don't know, Inter Milan, AC Milan, whatever it might be. I I personally would be at this point I think I'd take that move if I was him. But English players generally are afraid to play anywhere other than England. Um this is a long running thing with the best English players, and he might just be like, Yeah, I just wait this out. Maybe I'd still have the option of that next year, but maybe I could also just go to United and you know not have to worry about a different culture or eating different foods, which is seems to be a recurring problem for English players and they've talked about over the years. I'm a big fan of uh Schnitzel Adam. So uh, I could uh and uh what's the what's the other thing? Spat spatzel. Beer. You uh, like beer. I, um I also <laughs> like beer. Uh I like wine. Uh obviously we've been going long. We talked about the major heavy hitters. We are not a weekend and week out soccer podcast, so if we didn't talk about your team, we don't care. But whistle top well, store through some other things that I'm well, thinking. Well, give about. me I was gonna ask you for one surprise package. So that can be our chance because I think if we do this then if I didn't mention your team, that's fine. I, I don't respect them anyway. Um so one or this, this is something I'm I don't know if it's a surprise, but I'm really interested to see how Brighton takes the next step after selling McAllister and presumably Moises Caicedo. Roberto De Zerbi, obviously one of the best young managers uh in football now, I guess, after having that really good season last year with Brighton kind of taking what Graham Potter built at Brighton and taking it a step further. I think he's a better manager than Graham Potter by mm-hmm. quite a long ways. Um, and like how, how they replace those players and kind of what the next iteration of that looks like. Do they take a step back? Probably will. Um, but I, they were close to a move for someone, weren't they? That would seem to be a McAllister replacement. I can't remember. Um, I want to say they've got James Miller and his oh, leadership coming you're in. Talking about, you're talking about uh, Mohamed Kudus from yes. Ajax, who is yes, which is would be a record signing and is a really, really talented player. Could be a real yes like, phenomenon upright. Would be a big, big coup for them. Yeah, so um, if that gets over the line, I think that's that's huge to them, like keeping their status as one of those teams that are in the mid table for the next year years however like i said james milner on a free transfer you can't can't put a price on that leadership and uh him winning whatever fitness running test liverpool did does at the beginning of every preseason that's a running joke uh among people uh muhammad dehu coming in from uh Borussia dortmund on a free uh he was younger than i thought he was i feel like i've been seeing him run around in that yellow and uh black shirt for years now uh they picked up xiao uh, pedra uh, Pedro from Watford. So interested to see what their season looks like. Roy Hodgson, another year at Crystal Palace. He's going to get buried at Selhurst Park, just like Harry Kane is at uh, Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. Uh, does Brentford keep up what they're doing? Um, I'm kind of looking at a Fulham regression as well. Marco Silva, I guess, almost got poached by. Uh, uh, team in the Saudi league as well. And I guess last it's kind of just on my mind is, is this going to be another year that Everton fans have to worry that they're going to get relegated because we talk about the mess that um, Chelsea has been with bully, but I guess Ever- Everton has a shout for 
worst run uh, team in the league of the last few years, I think. And like, can they get back to some semblance of what they were 10 years ago? No, probably not because there's like very close to zero transfer business done there. They got Danjuma on loan and a 37, 38 year old Ashley Young on a free transfer. That's everyone's business so far. So I think Sean Deitch is certainly a much better manager to start a season with than Frank Lampard. And they may just have less to worry about as a result of that, but very, very tough there. Um, I'm in agreement with John Brighton. I'm going to be in Brighton, seeing Brighton in the flesh in a few weeks' time. I look forward to that. Uh, the club you did mention that I'm most intrigued by, and I think there is a chance that... Um, Maybe they could be this year's Newcastle. Like, if there was to be a wild card to get themselves in the Champions League mix, this is who it would be. Um, I really do think they will qualify for Europe as Aston Villa. Uh, Unai Emery is one of the best managers in the world, although I think there's always been a bizarre, very uncharitable view of him in England from people laughing at his accent when he was Arsenal manager. Um, his, his track record, his CV speaks for itself. He did a pretty amazing job with Villa when he took over last year. Uh, Villa's transfer business is at a level that very few teams have been able to match this year. They sent Pau Torres from Villarreal, one of the best centre-backs on the planet. Uh, Yuri Tielemans on a free transfer from Leicester, who should really be a nice boost to their midfield. And Musa Diaby, one of the more exciting wingers in all of world football too, from Leverkusen. I did see Emi Buendia, I think it's torn his crucial ligaments, so he'll be up for a long period of time. But they've been building something really, really nice. That's a very, very strong squad that has been put together. Um, Milwaukee Bucks co-owner Wes Eden's also a co-owner at Aston Villa. And Villa could be really, really good. Um, I, I think the pieces are there. They've got a great manager. I think they are probably being overlooked. And in a world where Spurs, I rate Ange Pasacoglu very high. I think he's a really great coach, but that might be an impossible job. Uh, Chelsea could be a disaster again. Newcastle might deal with the the fallout of having to play European football. The same could apply for Brighton, too, with the Europa League. Um, all of that could open the door for Villa to really position themselves very, very nicely. And then if there was any further slip-ups from our presumptive top fours, I think Villa... Villa might be close. They certainly they have good enough players. There'll be luck required. Their squad probably isn't deep enough. But if everyone was healthy and everything clicked, they could be a really, really strong team this year. There's a lot of whiplash uh, in managerial quality when you say, think about Steven Gerrard and then you think about Unai Emery. Uh, mm-hmm. What a big upgrade that was for Villa. Oh, God. Uh, last thing I know, and then we can, I guess, do top four predictions and relegation predictions. The club coming up that you're most interested in, a lot of people would say Luton Town. I'm interested in what this version of Burnley looks like. Uh, oh, 100%. Because, uh, I'm not interested in Luton we, at all. It's just... just oh, the, I know. Some, uh, people people are interested <laughs> in like the There's a novelty factor of. in Kenilworth Road, yeah. I think particularly for people from America who are like, what? This is a stadium? This is how you enter it? Um... They're not a Premier League club. Like, they're just not ready for this. They've been kind of open on that themselves. Like, there's yeah, a reason the stadium <laughs> looks like that. Uh, they may not finish 20th, but, like, they were so far ahead of their schedule. This happens sometimes. That's fine. Like, you 
get relegated uh, responsibly. You don't spend too much money. You get your parachute payments. You reinvest. You come back up in a year or two, and you're better, better prepared for it. Like that could be the start of overhauling their club. But sorry, yeah, continue. Burnley, Burnley, an entirely different yeah. proposition with how they've been built up, and obviously a longtime Premier League club who have gone down completely overhauled their style with Vincent Company and are back now. Yeah, we would associate Burnley in the past with just like the Sean Dyche two-footed tackles, uh, just not attacking football, uh, long balls and getting it on uh, some some guy's giant forehead and scoring headed goals like that. That's what we associated Burnley. And now you got Vincent Company, who uh, obviously played under Pep at City during uh, – some of that heyday uh, and coming in and completely changing the way that they play. They led the championship in goals last year. They won the league um, company is obviously a former Belgium international uh, got his managerial uh, career started as a player manager at Anderlecht and then was the manager at Anderlecht um, then comes to Burnley and here they are back in the Premier League playing a completely different style, playing a style that we imagined will be fun to watch. Will that create some difficulty as it uh, often does for clubs that come up from the championship that are more on the front foot and they have to get used to that not being the case anymore. Someone that springs to mind. And I think I have a lot more faith in company and Burnley to have fewer issues with this than some of the Fulham teams uh, of the past few years when they were a yo-yo club coming up and just getting their defense actually absolutely torn to shreds because they don't know how to um play any other way um yeah just really interested to see what the team that i saw a few times in the championship when i was you know looking for something to do on a friday afternoon and uh they were on espn plus obviously now i have the league of ireland adam so uh, you know sure do. the championship get shoved off to the side but yeah just very interested to see what companies burnley looks like all right, let's get to predictions. Um, who are your three relegated clubs? Um, my three relegated clubs: Luton Town, um, Wolves, and let's see: Luton Town, Wolves, and I'll say Sheffield United go right back down as well uh i'm going with wolves as rock bottom then luton i'm gonna say fulham okay I'm, I'm who'd you have rock bottom f- cut out a little bit wolves wolves okay I'm, I'm i'm between uh fulham and forest i think fulham though uh, things seem bad with alexander mitrovich because he wanted to go to saudi arabia and they have not allowed him to they brought Raul Jimenez in, who just does not look like the same guy he once was. And I think if like if the goals dry up, if the goals that Mitrovic has consistently delivered for them aren't there, I think they'll be in big trouble. Um, Forest is another kind of basket case club that the way their ownership, although they've reined it right back this year, you know, they've gone from the Chelsea approach. They they maybe invented the Chelsea approach um, to something that's a little bit steadier, a little bit more sustainable, but. Didn't the American guy leave? Whoever, whatever, that executive. Uh Forrest. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's their Greek owner with, uh, you know, lots of 
lots of questionable stuff in his past is really the the root oh, of all okay. things. I thought there was like an American executive, you know. It's, we'll we'll talk about all that anything. No, no, dude, listen. Okay. There's lots of them, lots of lots of your people uh, around the Premier League. Uh, but no, we'll we'll talk about the Forest Order off air. That's probably better. Top four in order, the reverse order. Well, you can go it. If you want to, if you want to go from, if you want to go from six, I do top six to put the two guaranteed European places too. I mean, realistically, you're probably going to seven. If you want to go seven? We could do that either. Um, sure, seventh. I will go Aston Villa. Sixth, I'll go Brighton. No, six, I'll go Tottenham, fifth, Brighton. And then fourth, Manchester United, third, Liverpool, second, Arsenal, first, Manchester City. Seventh, Tottenham. Sixth, Newcastle. Fifth, Aston Villa. Fourth, Manchester United. Third, Arsenal. Second, Liverpool. First, Man City. I'd ask for top score, but I think we're going to be in agreement on that. That will be Erling Haaland. Um, so yeah, I think that's that's pretty much it. That wraps up our, our manager of the year, Roberto Zerbi, because I just predicted them to finish fifth. <laughs> that would certainly do it. My only reason doubting Brighton is I don't know if they're ready for that number of games yet. But hey, if they're about to get like a hundred million for Caicedo, and if they invest that as well as they've invested everything else before the transfer window closes yeah maybe um i won't put it past them i just they they probably need some more bodies to be able to do that in the league and also sustain any kind of european run i had to say one thing out of pocket i've been pretty chalk so there we go that's fair all right that does it for this episode and we will talk more about football throughout the year on and off on this feed so make sure you subscribe if you want more of that Otherwise, on a general week to week, you can probably hear us talk about movies, TV here. Subscribe to Make Time for This, wherever you get your podcasts. You'll never miss any of that. You should also check out the rest of the GSPN podcasts. Eurostep Podcast Network, the main feed, home to all things Milwaukee books. Talk to Tundra for everything Green Bay Packers. And for more from Andrew and myself, cruising for a bruising for everything Milwaukee Brewers. Until next time, thanks again to all of you for listening. Thank you, Andrew. Thanks, Adam.